Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Hello, everyone. Here we are again. I'm Liz. It's Liz. 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 I'm Nick. (laughs) And I've watched a film this week called Mothering Sunday. Have you heard of this? I hadn't even heard of it. It's got Colin Firth in it. I thought you'd be like a whip it up a drain pipe. Well, I would if I'd have known. God, I'd love to get in there. Colin Firth, and it's also got Olivia Colman in it. It'd be easier to list films that Olivia Colman isn't in. She's literally in everything at the minute. But the thing about Olivia Colman is she has the same expression... An attitude, not a very good attitude, in everything she's in. She's like the new Hugh Grant, isn't she? Because Hugh Grant was the... Sa- I love Hugh Grant, by the way. The fluttering way. of the eyelashes. Yeah, I, I love Hugh Grant. But he is the same person in every single film, well, isn't he? And I wanted to watch this because it's set in the 1920s and it's about a young maid by played by Odessa Young who's incredibly beautiful. She's like the new Lily... Coleman? No. No, no. <laughs> I'm talking rubbish. <laughs> she, was in Mum, she was in Mamma Mia Part 2. Very beautiful. Well, I can't remember her name. Anyway, Lily. They're all called Lily, aren't they're they? Stupid arses. They're all Lily and they're all beautiful. Why don't people call their children Hilda and Ethel? Why are they all called Mabel. Lily? Mabel. Good, good, proper names. Anyway, she's played by Odessa Young, who's incredibly beautiful. She's a new Lily something. And Josh O'Connor <laughs> is in it, who played Charles in The Crown. I like him. And he's also exactly the same. He's still Charles. Is he? <laughs> but I wanted to see it because Odessa Young plays a maid in a very big house in the 1920s. And I wanted to watch it because my grandmother, my dad's mum, who was born in 1884, was a maid in a big house in Essex. And she was a maid when she left school at about 12. And she had to, her job was to clean out the fire grates every morning. Every single fire grate. And I bet it wasn't like it was in Downton Abbey. Or this film. Or this film. Because all Odessa Young does, rather than doing the fireplaces, which would have been useful, like my grandmother, she gets her kit off. There's as many nipples in this film as there were in the Fifty Shades series, although you see Josh O'Connor's penis for quite a long time. Is that because you paused it? No, I didn't pause it. (laughs) I don't like like men's penises. I think they're revolting. But we did get to see more of Jamie Dornan later, but we didn't get to see Jamie Dornan's. You wouldn't turn down his appendage, would you? You didn't see Jamie Dornan's in Fifty Shades because I once I was watching the, the last Fifty Shades film with my ex and I looked at my popcorn and he said, you missed his penis just from looking at my popcorn. And you can't rewind it in the cinema, can no. you? I have to say, Jamie Dornan in the fall. O-M-G. Oh, my God, that made psychopaths look attractive. 
You would, wouldn't you? And there yeah. was a lot of nudity in that, wasn't there, from him? Was there from him as well? No, you did have you did have a full frontal from him. I'm going to watch it again, actually, thinking about this it. This all sort of ties into a piece that I'm writing today, which will be on Mail Plus by the time this podcast comes out. Are you still with me? We need the little jiggy music to go with that. When you say Mel Plus, you get a little, little jiggy music. Is there jiggy music oh, on Mel? There should be, shouldn't there? <laughs> anyway, the piece I'm writing today, which will be out by the time you listen to this podcast, is why do people like Matt Hancock and Boris Johnson go out swimming in the serpentine or jogging and they just look awful? And Matt Hancock took his shirt off and... There's a myth, and I think we need to dispel this myth, that women aren't aroused visually. We are. Let's go back to Jamie Dorman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Men have this mistaken idea that they don't have to look great. Like, yeah, no, do you know do. that most men take their T-shirts off when they're going to have sex with you, and I'm recoiling slightly, and they've got pink arms up to halfway up their arms, and then it's pure white if you're dating a white man. They don't think you have to have an all-over even tan. They just have these weird white bits. I don't know. Men nowadays, like if you date Army, Not none Army I and do. Marines. No, if you date the Army and Marines, a lot of them are on the sunbeds. Or uh, getting a full spray tan. So not only do men think they can take their T-shirt off and have different colours on their body, which is not acceptable. Jamie Dornan doesn't do that. He would never do but that. But they also just... Why does Boris Johnson, he knows he's going to be photographed, why does he wear these awful old shorts jogging? Just smarten up. Whatever your name is, Mrs Boris Johnson, buy him or rent him. A nice pair of grey mild jogging bottoms. He obviously just wants to be like one of the people, you know, that I slum it to. <laughs> just looking at me blank there. But Matt Hancock, how did he ever not only get a wife, but get a mistress in his office when he looks like that without his top on? So here's a lesson to any male listener. We are visually stimulated. You might think we're not, but we are visually stimulated Smarten up and do not give me different colours on your arm. I want an even tan. <laughs> but that <laughs> film, Mothering Sunday, was such a load of tripe. Don't believe what you read in the papers or how good it was. It was absolute rubbish. And why Odessa Young had to walk around showing us that she doesn't ever have extreme bikini waxes, I don't oh. know. Why are actresses TMI. still getting their kit off? Stop TMI. it. Stop it. Stop it. See, you've ruined it for me now because I love Colin Firth, but now you've well, you, told me Colin about... Colin Firth doesn't get his top on. I bet underneath he's got a nice even charm. I bet he has. Colin Firth's perfect. I still go back to Bridget Jones and wanting to be in the Hugh Grant and the Colin Firth sandwich. That's all I care about in life. Who would be better at sex, though, Hugh Grant or Colin Firth? Well... Hugh Grant's the bad boy, isn't he? He's probably got more experience, but then Colin Firth is very handsome and rich and dependable. So you want them both. But I remember when the Fifty Shades books very, 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 very first came out and there was a phenomenon and everyone was reading it and my cleaner was reading it and she took my trilogy off my desk. And I remember the editor of the Daily Mail said, ask Liz Jones why everyone's reading Fifty Shades. Why are they doing it? And I'm like... It's obvious. It's because we've emasculated men so much and made them yeah. use wheelie bin liners and made them go up step ladders and that. 
They're not bad boys anymore. Or not in your case. (laughs) They're not bad boys anymore, are they? No, and we do like, I'm sorry, but we are attracted to My mum still had a real respect for my dad and wouldn't have pushed him around. But these days we do push them around, therefore you don't get great sex. They can't win. We've said this before, haven't we, on the podcast. They literally cannot win. No, but... Don't have different colours on don't, your arms. Don't have different colours on your I remember I downloaded Fifty Shades for Martin's gran. She's, she was in her late 80s and uh, she loved it, loved it. Said it didn't teach her anything new, which frightened me a little bit. <laughs> but you've read a book which is also about a maid. I have. I've just read It's out today. It's and not a set in the 1920s, though, is it's it? It's not, no. It's, it's modern day. It's called The Maid by um, Nita Prose. And it's her debut novel. She's Canadian. She's Canadian. And Universal have got the film right. Do you know I'm barred from Canada? Are you? Why are you barred from Canada? Because I was sent by the Daily Mail to report on the sea cull. Oh. And that was the first time I'd been in a helicopter with the Humane Society of the United States. I went up with this girl in a helicopter. And we couldn't touch down because the ice was so melting. She kept testing it with the helicopter, and I was like, oh, my God. And then, weirdly, having observed all the seals and everything and the seal coal, so the reason I'm barred from Canada is because I said, don't go to Canada, don't buy American, Canadian tuna, don't go to Canada. So they barred me. So I've been barred from three countries and the Victoria Beckham show. On the way back from trying to land on the ice... She landed and we stopped at a petrol station. She said, can you get the petrol because I don't have any money? No. <laughs> I didn't even know a helicopter just took petrol at a but petrol But you don't station. expect that from a helicopter, do you? No, uh, no. I think the last thing I would expect was stopping off at a petrol station. Did you get your can of coke and your it packet of It was bizarre, but well. I had to pay for the fuel. <laughs> but how much fuel does a helicopter take? A sort of little things that I want to know. And is it is it diesel or is it petrol? I don't know. But we filled up and then off we went again. <laughs> so your author is from Canada where I'm barred. She, you're barred. It's, it is a very good book. It's been likened to the, uh, and a lot of people have read this because it was a bestseller, the Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine book by Gail Honeyman. And I think that's a really fair description. She's The character is very similar. She's quite quirky. And it's like a modern day Agatha Christie. And Molly's a maid and she, when you start reading the book, you can see she's quite different. She's very formal. She doesn't speak in a colloquial way. She's very formal. She uses words that I've never heard of. I I was having to look up what certain words meant because I'd never heard of them. And she... Does she use the word anecdote? She doesn't use the word anecdote. She doesn't. I I shall send that to the author and recommend that she does that in future. But you start learning more about this character, and you, and and as it as the character develops, you find out really that she's a Spurgers. She suffers from Spurgers. Now I don't know anything about Spurgers syndrome at all. I could tell there was something going on, so I googled I googled what I was finding that she wasn't very good socially, and she was very formal. She wasn't really reacting to certain things in the way you would expect someone to do. But the book never says this is a character that's got Asperger's syndrome. So it's really good from that point of view. Just basically the way the character's presented and the way Molly behaves and the way people react to Molly is quite shocking, really, because there's very little understanding of why why she's acting in the way she is. 
and it's all from her point of view. So she she doesn't acknowledge the fact at all. This is just who she is. And I really like that about the book. It's just her. It's just who she is. And we see a real genuine thing about her is it's just her she's not she's not got this she's not got that she She doesn't identify she's really likable and you find her a bit strange at first because you can't quite work out what's going on but she's really likable and there's a lot of likable characters in her grand's likable and there's a really nice backstory about her family she was she's a maid in a big hotel so it's quite a nice thing about the big running of a hotel and the different characters in the hotel there's a little bit of a love interest. It's it's a sort of Agatha Christie modern day thing. And what I really love about her, I'm a bit biased here, is she loves Columbo and she watches Columbo with her gran, which is exactly what I did with my nan and what I do with my mum. We, we all love Columbo. I would absolutely say read it. It's the sort of book that you will sit down in a comfy armchair with a hot chocolate or a cup of coffee with a fire on, and you will lose all track of time. I found it really difficult to put down. I just wanted to keep reading. It's got some nice twists and turns in it that you don't expect, and it just keeps you engaged. It's a really good book. Do you want to go and work for her, the writer? No, because she wouldn't understand Antidote. She wouldn't understand You'd that. also have to live in Canada. <laughs> I would have to live in Canada, and I'd probably go around hunting the hunters. Now, I don't know whether everyone is aware, but I used to have a column in the Daily Mail called Jones Moans. Oh, we love Jones Moans. And I had the idea for this column in 1998 when I was on the Sunday Times. They didn't want it. And it took about 20 years for me to get it. And anyway, it doesn't exist anymore. But I've slightly resurrected it for you, Magazine, this week because the, the column is a moan. That's not like you. No, it isn't really. No. I, I, I was saying to you, I was looking through my emails at the time I was being made bankrupt and all the stresses and people asking me for money. I still worked every single day. You did. And yeah. it didn't show in any one of my emails to my work no. colleagues. No. Yes, that's fine. I'll go to Milan. Yes, that's fine. Nick, I haven't got any petrol. <laughs> oh, those were the days. God help us. So this column is really asking why nobody sticks up for me. Ever. So I'm telling you now that my column this week is a moan, and if you don't want me to moan, don't read it. I'm talking about what happened over Christmas and New Year, because obviously the column's written about six weeks ago, because they have to print it and bind it and publish it and all that kind of stuff, because it's a magazine. My New Year's break was as follows. Nick was off sick, which meant I only had to look after my horses, but I'd look after hers as well. It took four and a half hours to muck out each day. I then poop-it the fields, filled hay nets, water buckets, made feeds, sorted the farrier, brought them in, turned them out, changed rugs. Not easy in a storm with my swirly, who does a lot of head waggling, and scraped me off in a bramble. She's quite bouncy, isn't she, swirly girly? I didn't have time to get any shopping or make dinner. I was also working as normal on the day job. I would get to the cottage and feed my happy, exhausted dogs. Teddy, stop it. Teddy? The new rescue collie has settled in beautifully, enjoying his organic human food, hours and hours and hours outside with the horses and never being left on his own. I just sat down, feeling liberated. I had blocked my ex, which we just talked about. I'm going to sing now. Oh, no. In the immortal words of Mary J. Blige, (laughs) 
Broken heart again, another lesson learned. Better know your friends or else you will get burned. No more pain, no more pain, no more pain, no more drama, no more drama in my life. You didn't know I could rap. It, well, I've got to be honest, it's a bit ironic you're saying no more pain while you're singing. <laughs> We're definitely feeling the pain. What an amazing song. And I do wonder why Mary J. Blige isn't richer than Adele. Oh, dreary, dreary, and Ed Sheeran combined. <gasps> Love Ed Sheeran. I have got Nicola, you say I don't give her anything, two front row tickets for Ed Sheeran. Love Ed Sheeran. Love him. Then, just now, I got a text. Just got in, exhausted, mucking out your horses, mucking out my horses. I got a text from Steph the woman who organised the rescue of Teddy from Romania. It was from a man, Andrew G. Doe, probably not his real name. Mm. He wrote to Steph, he wrote her a letter. Dear Steph, can I ask, when you arrange for Liz Jones, the Mail on Sunday journalist, whether you are aware of her past history of having animals? One eviscerated a sheep. Her dogs are so badly behaved, they are barely trained at all. She leaves them in alone in a car on a hot day. How dare he? Well, also, Nick, how many people employ someone, you... Me. ...to look after my dogs and my horses when I'm incapable yeah. of doing so? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So who has my dogs when I'm in London? Absolutely, you. me. And, and actually, your animals have 24-7 care. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's he that, went, it's unbelievable. I was so upset. I he was, went I was on, upset. and I was really upset. This could mean I could lose Teddy because Steph could just turn up and say, "Well, I've had this letter from this man. I'm going to take him away from you." But isn't it interesting how people twist things? Sam, the collie, did kill a sheep, but the farmer who owned him before chucking him out onto the streets should have had him rehomed. And he could have said, "I've had to chuck him out of my farm yeah. because he kills sheep," and yeah. then you would have been warned. Exactly. The reason he attacked a sheep was because he was starved. He'd been kept on a chain because his teeth were stubbed, so he'd been yep. trying to get the chain off. He had no fur around his neck. So it wasn't my fault Sam killed a sheep. No. It was the fault of the farmer who chucked him out. No. And Gracie might still chew and wee, but that isn't my fault. Because look at Minnie. She's perfect. She doesn't chew. She doesn't wee anywhere. So the fault of Gracie was her mother was so abused in Ireland, no one could get near her, and she, she was rescued by Wickerways and brought to England, and the mother was rehomed, and I got the puppy. But the mother had passed on to the puppy this sheer terror, and it's never left Gracie. She's a nervy, 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 nervy dog. All, all she destroys affects only you. Yeah. Only you. And every time, like yesterday, I went to the laundry in Richmond, and I go in the laundry with my package of the pillow or the duvet, and the woman in the laundry goes, Gracie? And I, yes, it's Gracie, and we all wave at Gracie. She's weed. So even the laundry knows that I go in there with a good heart and give her the pillow, and she cleans my duvet, she cleans the pillow and gives it back to me. And it's all very well. I've never you. once told Gracie mm -hmm. off for that because it's not it. her fault. She can't help the it. The more you tell Gracie off, the more stress she'll get. So I got yeah. really annoyed. Although I said to Nick, can you please stick up for me? So she wrote an email to Steph saying, look, you know, I've worked for Liz since 2007. I wouldn't work for anyone who didn't have incredibly high standards. I certainly wouldn't work for an animal abuser. I'd be more likely to put them six foot under. You know, and when I first got Lizzie, my rescued racehorse, and she attacked me in the stable, I didn't retaliate. No. 
Yeah. You know, like 99% of the people who work in the racing industry retaliate and horrible women around who punch their horses. They, even if the horse stamps its foot, they punch it. I didn't retaliate. I walked away. I went in the kitchen. I had a good cry. And I called Nick, who's yeah. an equine behaviourist, yeah. and she's still working with me. Exactly. No, I've always, same as when I give people phones, I've always been burnt. So when I was living in Somerset and Nick was working for me, I got asked by this woman if I could take in a 40-year-old thoroughbred mare whose owner had been evicted from her livery yard. Yeah, I wonder why. Mm, um, so this horse was 40 and I said, the only thing I'm going to ask from you, owner, is... You pay any vet bills and euthanasia when the time comes and for her to be individually cremated. And she agreed. And the horse started to go downhill and Nick would be on 24-hour watch in the field with a little torch. Yeah, it was horrendous. I mean, the woman refused to visit, saying she had to do the school run. Yeah. When the horse had to be put down, she refused to visit. Yeah, no. And I wrote a column at the time that the woman refused to pay the euthanasia bill and the cremation... But she told Nick that I could sell all the filthy old rugs her horse owned on eBay. Which we didn't even use, actually. We but, used did I have, rugs. but did I have time to sell rugs on eBay? To, she promised to pay the vet bill. So well, after I saying. wrote that, she complained to my managing editor, who did nothing about it, didn't stick up for me, and she went on line to say, oh, Liz Jones kills horses, and nothing was done. No one stuck up for me, though I was completely in the right and I had witnesses. I have to say, I have never been so angry and offended at anything in my life because that's not only a slur on you, that's also a slur on me because I'm employed to look after your horses and I stayed up with that horse 24-7. I, I... Then a woman wrote on Mum's Net that she saw me toking cocaine at a bonfire party. But that's libel. That's completely libelous. And I told my manager again that Tony did nothing about it. It's completely libelous. I was so upset. And actually, fair play, you're in the media. And but don't look, lie about me. And yeah, if you lie about exactly. me, there's consequences. Exactly. You're in the media, you're in the public eye, so people can say the truth because that's that's just that's that's the price of of making your living being in the You know, the if I said Meghan Markle in the Daily Mail, I saw her taking cocaine at a bonfire party, she could take her. me to court. But no one took her to court. No. I was told just to put up with it. No. I'm sick of it. But look at when I ha I wrote about my dogs here for me because I'm deaf. Yeah. Hearing dogs for the deaf complain to the press complaints gather and still no one took, stood up for me. I never said they got I got my dogs from them. No. Do you know why they did that? It's because they want to train dogs to hear do. for you because that's how they get money. Of course they, they didn't do. want someone coming along saying, I don't need you, I'll do it myself. And it's and it's actually ridiculous. And do you remember so my people... managing editor phoned me to say, "Oh well, they put more complaints in writing, and the number of emails I got on the stress never stuck up for me." Although I won the case, he phoned me when I was in the middle of picking up Lizzie's ashes from the vet yeah, clinic. I remember that. No one has any care that I might be a human being and I might be upset. I remember that, and I just think it's very easy on social media to say these things. But it's heartbreaking. I mean, for instance, with the horse we looked after, it's heartbreaking. It really, really was devastating to lose her. We were exhausted. It, the vet bills were through the, the roof. Expense. You know, we were we were literally getting her up off of the ground because she had colic. It was 
heartbreaking to then have lies told about yeah. it. Yeah. But no one stuck up for me. No one stuck up for me. And it's the same when a fellow newspaper columnist wrote on Twitter that I have sex with my cats. She swiftly deleted the tweet. Not good enough. I, it just, it's just I complained to my managing editor was... and nothing was done. He but said, why oh, has she still got a job? He said, have you got the tweet? I said it was published in the Evening Standard. I'm not making it up. But why has she still got a job? Because actually Why did no so one offensive. take her to court? It's, but it's liable. Saying telling, sex with your cat is liable. Telling me I indulge in bestiality, that should, she should have been taken to court. But why does no one stick up for me? It's like I'm in the village square in the stocks and people are just allowed to throw rubbish at me and no one stops it. Well, unfortunately, I think oh, we all get things thrown at each other. But for you, you're such a bigger target because you've got a bigger audience. Say but it's you like, still it's happening today. I did my best over Christmas and New Year. I looked after all the animals to the absolute best of my ability. I didn't have any food. Um, you were off sick. And I get home and I sit down for the first time that day and I get this horrible, tiny little man telling me that I'm not fit to own dogs. And I am taking you to court. You can read this week's diary in full in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Do you want to know what the readers are saying? No, because we haven't done my archive yet. Oh, we've, oh, yeah, okay, copy that. I wanted to talk a little bit about a film that's out tomorrow called Belfast. <gasps> Jamie Dorman again. And it's directed by Kenneth Branagh, and it's really about his childhood, and he's going to get an Oscar for Best Director. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm desperate to see it. I would go to the cinema if I didn't have dogs, but I'm going to wait to stream it. And Kenneth Branagh, really, anything he touches, it turns into gold, doesn't it? Not always. Do you think? No. See, I, I just love him in Shakespeare. Anything he does, Shakespeare, I love him. But. But. To do an impression of Nick. But. My second celebrity interview ever was with Kenneth Branagh. Was it? And he was still a student. This tells you how old I am. Did he have the wham haircut with the highlights and the layers? No, he was a drama student. (laughs) And he then was so, he was so nice. I went to his house and he lived sort of in the suburbs of West London. I remember thinking he had all these houseplants. And I remember thinking, oh God, all these houseplants are awful. You've got to dust all the leaves and everything. And he was so nice, he then phoned my home on the landline before we had mobiles to check I had everything I need. And my future fiancé, now ex, was living next door in 1983, and he answered the phone to Kenneth Branagh. Papa doesn't know he did. No. And he he was always answering the phone in my house, and always he would say, big in hill, big in hill. As a joke. So Kenneth Branagh was confused that he was phoning Big and Hill, not me. Oh, God. And I still remember, because I remember every celebrity interview I've done, the heading on the piece was The Boy from Belfast, and he's now made a film called Belfast. Ah. It was prophetic. It was prophetic. You were there. You were ahead of your time. But I hope he remembers I did the very first interview with him. Give him a nudge. And maybe he'll do another interview with me. That would be interesting, actually, interviewing him as as a student before he made it and interviewing him now. Yeah, and also how my life hasn't changed at all. 
Yes. And he has. Who's your favourite interview, though? Well... Was he your favourite? Why not? Well, no, not particularly. Rupert Everett was probably one of my favourite interviews because he was the very first person I interviewed. I got it myself. I got Kenneth Bradley interview myself. And when Rupert had the anniversary of Another Country on stage, which is about, what, 30-year anniversary? Yeah. And he had a special performance and a special talk. He invited me as the first person to interview him. Oh. But I couldn't go because I don't think I had any petrol. One of my favourite interviews was with Andy McDowell, who snogged Hugh Grant. You see, there's a synchronicity here, isn't I there? love her. She's so beautiful, isn't she? She's just so beautiful. And this was in 2009. Can't remember that far. And I went to interview at the Dorchester. That's where I interviewed Michael Hutchins at the Dorchester. That's why I met him. Key moments happen at the Dorchester. And Bruce Willis. I was in Bruce Willis's bath in the it's Dorchester. It's obviously the place to be, isn't That's it? That's where all the stars stay. And I always seem, I have a bit of a Columbo approach to interviewing. I always seem to ask the wrong question and do the wrong thing. So with Bruce Willis, I, I went in his bath and he was quite scared. And with Andy McDowell, my first question was to her, do you wake up every day thinking, oh God, I look tired, I'm going to be sacked? Okay, how to win friends and influence people. You didn't read that book, did you? But she said, no, I don't really, because they just, L'Oreal had just hired Diane Keaton, who's older than her, and Jane Fonda, who's a lot older than her. So she actually now is still in the L'Oreal adverts and she's allowed herself to go grey, mm. though when I met her, she still wasn't grey. No. But she's grey now. And she still looks amazing. And you don't have to fight it. Well, she says to me, as you get older, it's not just about how you look. It's about your interior life as well. What's an interior life? Well, it's about you are what you are as a person. Oh, okay. I said, I wonder if she has any strict anti-aging rules written into her contract. A contract she signed 23 years ago, such as she can't leave the house without sunblock. I think that's in my contract, actually. Liz, do not leave the house without sunblock. She must never drink alcohol or must drink two litres of water today. She laughs. The only thing that L'Oreal stipulates is that I have to use the products, which I do. Even when I go to the hairdresser, they have to use L'Oreal. I never dye my own hair. I moisturise a lot, but I have good genes, she told me. Her mother and grandfather both have beautiful skin. See, I never went in the sun. Even when I was 11, I put parasol on my hair because I thought the hair could be damaged by the sun. I had yeah, you've always block. been very sort of aware of that sort of thing, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah, I didn't even think about it when I was Yeah, well, you're just young. not very groomed. No, I'm not very groomed. That is very true. But then I asked her quite an intelligent question, and I said if she'd read The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf, it posits that women swap the shackles of domesticity for the fascism of worrying about their looks. Does she think, for example, that women can dye their hair and still be feminists? Well, she says, women who make the choice to have grey hair, I think that's beautiful. But when my sister had her second child, she was going grey, and someone mistook her for a grandmother, and that was it. She said she'd read the beauty myth. She doesn't use beauty products to please anyone else. She doesn't do it to capture a man. She does it because it's something she enjoys. See, I'm the same, you see. I like a day in the spa because I enjoy it because men don't notice, do they? No. Like, does Martin notice your feet? No. He, he probably doesn't even know if I've got feet. But then we started... She was she She came of age, really, in New York 
at the completely greatest time, the Studio Four, and um, what was uh, what was the artist called? Prince. Andy Warhol. <laughs> <laughs> But she says Studio Four wasn't what she was looking for. She wasn't crazy enough. I like my sleep, she says. I'm real quiet. And when I went there, I was so naive. When I moved to Paris, my first job was for Elle magazine. And I remember having my makeup put on. And Gia, you know, the model who became a heroin addict and died from AIDS at 26. She was played by Angelina Jolie, was there. And I was scared to death. Jerry Hall scared me to death. Jerry Hall scared me to death. I interviewed Jerry Hall in Beverly Hills and she really scared me. No, she does look scary. I got, But then if she's taking on Mick Jagger, she's going to have to be scary, isn't she? She's had some ups and downs, though, Andy McDowell, apart from Kiss Kissing Hugh Grant. Because do you remember when she was cast by Hugh Hudson as Jane to Christoph Lambert's Tarzan? They drafted in someone else to do her voice because her voice was so awful. That would almost finish you off, wouldn't it? That's really mean. No, that's mean. I loved her in Michael. I thought that was brilliant. Then I asked her, will you be still starring in skincare adverts when you're 80? She said, do you know that poem, If I Had My Life to Live Over? In it, a woman writes about all the things she would have done differently. You can't live your life because your man or some newspaper article or some horrible troll tells you what you should or shouldn't do. The older you get, the less you worry about what people say and the more you worry about what you want, because this is it. I don't hang out with people, says Andy. I don't want to hang out with. When you're young, you go to more trouble to be nice. But now my time is way too valuable. And I've started to think a bit, not just like Linda McCartney, but a bit more like Andy Andy McDowell. I think that's a really healthy attitude, though. Your time is valuable. Why shouldn't you respect your own, like, space and, and your own situation? And the people around you. Yeah, of course. Block them. Block, block them. them. And block them again. We need a new word this week. What's our word this week? Um, I, think it's, I think it's Jamie Dorman, to be honest. That's what we've said most. Jamie Dorman. <laughs> yeah. The accent. Ah, the body. Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. Would you like to hear what the leaders are saying? This Briefly. Week? Briefly. Right. Our brief readers said we've got Jackie from Taunton, so it's close to where we used to live. Um, Hi, Liz and Nick. I would love to know what nicknames you've been called. My partner calls me Wurzel, as I've always got straw in my head from the horses. I suppose that's Wurzel Gummidge, isn't it? What have you both been called and why? My husband, ever since I first met him and still in emails, calls me Chubby or Chubs or Chubster. Yeah, uh, Chubby Chubs. Why did he start that? Because he didn't want to be an enabler right. living with an anorexic, so he decided to call me Chubby. Okay. Anything else? You had any other ones? Growing up, I was just a little girl because my mum had so many children, she would forget all our, she, our ages. She'd just shout upstairs, Nick, Philip, Lynn, Tony, so whoever it is, stop it. And I was just a little girl, so I didn't even have a name as a child. But that's what we do now, isn't it, with the dogs? 
I Whoever go, it is, stop it. Whoever's sparking, stop it. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what we do. So we set a precedent. I was called Hamble at work because do you remember Hamble in, in um, play school looking through the round window? The doll. Is that because you were round? It was because <laughs> she had a little round face with a little curly dark I don't hair. think her name was that. No, it was. It was Hamble. No, it, was. it wasn't. It was. I was called Hamble for years. I've been called... My uncle, um, Andy, used to call me Nostrils. Don't I, I don't know. Now, at the time, I was very, very young. He was Greek, so he had some strange ideas. But he was—he used to call me nostrils, and at the time I didn't really think about it. But now I think—is it because I've got a big nose? It must be because I've got a big nose. You wouldn't have had a big nose as a child, though. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I was disproportionate. And my stepdad used to call me roses, and he's used to call my mum. <laughs> he used to call my mum gracious carnation that came oh. out. Well, he was Greek, and he he was, he was trying to give everyone flowers. So I was I was roses, and my mum was gracious carnation. But it came out gracious coronation. <laughs> so he used to call my mum that in public, and me roses. It was funny at the time. Maybe you had to be there. It was funny. Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday, but for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.